Hello and welcome to another episode of Part of the Gaps. I'm here, myself, Aaron Edwards, um, and I have the usual suspects with me, uh, Michael Otts and Andy Bannister. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. All right. Thank you. Uh, I haven't said what the podcast is about, have I? I should have said this is a podcast about culture and church and that kind of stuff. But really, it's about whatever comes to mind, usually, isn't it? <laughs> it's about Michael's baking and Andy's various habits with wood burning and, and things like this. And one of these um, days, we'll actually have a really professional introduction to this show and people won't know what's happened. That's it, exactly. And actually, funnily enough, we, have, we probably have to get a bit more professional because we had our first donors in the last couple of weeks who've been... Uh, giving us uh, something via Patreon, which is very nice. So if anyone else wants to keep doing that, um, Andy will find a way to use the money uh, appropriately, won't you? You won't be going on any uh, terrible expenses trips to Antigua. Well, I was thinking of redecorating a flat if we get enough money raised uh, through, through through Patreon. You know, I was just thinking following our beloved leader's uh, example. Although somebody pointed out, in all defence to, 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 to Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, who's been in trouble for spending money redecorating a flat. The previous famous Labour Prime Minister, a few back, Tony Blair, uh, he was, uh, it wasn't that long ago, he was busy spending £90 per roll of wallpaper redecorating the same flat in 10 Downing Street. So there's a kind of there history. Of no, there you go. This, but there we are. Well, but it's, it's a serious thing, isn't it? We do, we have, there are lots of things we could do to try and expand reach and things like that of the podcast, and it'd be good to sort of, you know, Maybe improve our sound quality at some point. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, but, but but you know what? Some what, what the proper podcasts I've noticed do. I say we are. I presume we are a proper podcast, aren't we? But <clears throat> we're not like a professional <laughs> one yet. Um, the ones who are like are really serious in it, like just like their full time job. They tend to do these kind of levels, don't they? Like if you you uh, I don't know, you support a prayer supporter gets you know a mug. You know, someone else pays a certain amount a month, they get a kind of like T-shirt or something. What would we, I was thinking we could maybe have Michael make people a pie, a podcast pie, and just mail it out to them with like some kind of Pod of the Gaps logo uh, on the, on branded on the front. Would you, would you be up for that, Michael? Podcast pies, yes. Live not by pies. I Live say, not by pies, yeah. exactly. Yeah. See, you know, that's a, a ready-made pun for you right there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so what have you guys been up to in the last week? Well, I um, I get the chance to look down on you lowly people in the south of this uh, glorious uh, Sceptre d'Isle because in Scotland, where I am, uh, cafes opened up after after COVID on a, on Monday. So I actually got to sit inside a cafe yesterday, like with four walls and a roof, and have coffee with a friend. It was quite interesting because I'd always forgotten how to behave in cafes. You know, and like you know, I was you know eating off the floor and feet on the table and stuff. And my friend had to go, no, no, Andy, that's not how we. That's not how we do it. So um, no, it was quite, it was quite surreal. You, you do realise, Andy, the reason why you're allowed to eat inside a cafe in Scotland, whereas we have to eat outside a cafe in England, is that it would actually be a greater public <laughs> health hazard to try and get people to sit outside a pub all evening in the freezing cold in the north of Scotland. Exactly. That is probably it, actually. So uh, so COVID, COVID numbers here are really low, which is great, but hyperthermia numbers are as high as ever. So uh, <laughs> that, is, that is the Scottish climate. You're quite right. That's the shame, and uh, and Michael, any and have you? You know, obviously, I know you've now been baking many podcast pies to send out to all of our faithful supporters. But other than that, have you been, any other kind of baking exploits? No, I, I've been doing my regular sourdoughs. In fact, I, I realised that sourdough posts on Instagram do get far more kind of you know take up and interest than posts about our podcast. So mm. I was thinking maybe I just need to you know post each day about my sourdough sure. and then. Uh, Add a little link to the podcast, um, the pie cast, as we might now call it. That's it. That's um, it. We've also we've also been in the process of moving house. So uh, so at this mm. moment in time, we are waiting for solicitors to call to exchange contracts. But uh, I've given my wife my phone, so uh, okay. she can deal with uh, so, uh, small. So in between like recording this podcast, Michael is soliciting. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Wow, splendid. Well, to be retweeted. <laughs> Well, you know, um, I guess we better get on to talking about something other than uh, pies. Um, we should talk yes. about lies instead. And one of the things that we're going to be speaking oh. about really uh, especially today so well, is so well done. Um, Live Not By Lies, this book by uh, Rod Dreher, which we've mentioned in advance with some of the other discussions we've been having. Um, Live by Not By Lies, the subtitle of which is A Manual for Christian Dissidents. A uh, Manual for Christian Dissidents. Um, and... Obviously, you know, we've been we've bought this book each and sort of been reading through it over the last few weeks. And I, I did make a point in, in our reading uh, episode, a couple of episodes back, about how appreciative I am that evangelists like Andy and Michael take the time to read books. Uh, and they don't just kind of think, oh, I, I know everything. So I just want to say again to both of you, thank you so much for taking the time 
to read the book all the way through in order to uh, you know facilitate this discussion. Um, it's called Live Not by Lies, so now would be the moment if uh, anyone wants to declare that that might not be the case. You mean no? You mean it would be terrible if we're going to talk about a book and say somebody hadn't done the reading that we 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 talked about in preparation, right? Is that what yeah, you're that, that, that would be a terrible thing. But they could pretend yeah. that they had. I guess that was <laughs> an, an option. Life. Yes, I mean I, I've read the book. Have you read the book, Aaron? I've read the book. I don't. <laughs> so if there was two. one person who hasn't read the book, there would well, only I'd... now be one. Ca- Michael, have you? How how was the book? Sorry for for our non-viewers, as I kept saying last week. Um, <laughs> I have now turned a rather shade of red. It's not sunburn. Um, I have read a, a good part of the book, um, at least all of part one, mostly, um, and some of part two. Um, which is slightly awkward because we're now going to talk about it. So I was thinking, I'm really glad that this is a kind of podcast between three of us. So my hope was, you know, I could kind of sit here kind of quietly and contribute when I get to the chapter that I have read, as opposed to the chapters that I haven't. My, my like one defense is that we have been moving house or, or in the process of, but that's not really a good excuse. I was, I was thinking earlier, it's a little bit like, you know, when you were at school and you had to kind of revise for exams and it wasn't so bad when you did most exams because, you know, you could just sit there quietly, kind of getting catching up on your sleep yeah. and not answering the questions. But when it came to the French oral exam, it was really embarrassing because in that situation, like your examiner could see immediately that you didn't know the answers and you had to just kind of sit there rather like embarrassingly trying to make up French words that you didn't really know. <laughs> That's so, it, yeah. Yeah. Andy, we really missed the trick, didn't we? We could have actually played all sorts of like tricks on Michael and just said, like, oh, do you remember that? You know, the chapter about like the kind of Loch Ness yes. monster. It's so strange that he would go that there. But I was really, com- really compelling on, argument. On yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can get him to sort of agree. No, I, I that's, I, I, we of course sympathize. I had many moments as a student myself going to seminars and uh, not having read the book. And one time I admitted it straight up at the beginning. I was like, I feel like I'm honourable because I've turned up to the seminar. Loads of people just don't turn up if they haven't read the book. And then I said, you know, they went round to what's your kind of, what do you want to talk about? Everyone, they go around the room. I was like, well, I actually haven't read it, but, you know, I thought I'd come to contribute. Well, you're not going to be able to contribute much today, are you? I got a real, like, death stare from the the lecturer. (laughs) I was like, right, okay, you're telling me not to turn up then, like everyone else you have. Okay, I'll do that next time. Uh, I think, think, Gary, they were just telling you to read the book. I think that could be it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. In in fact, that is the appropriate way to interpret that, rather than the... uh, That's me. When one hasn't, That's exactly it. But anyway, we're glad you have turned up, Michael. Um, And you have, of course, you know, taken at least some of the book. And I think, really, as you said, this isn't so much a book review, uh, episode as as something where we're going to help allow help the book kind of to um sort of use as a kind of a springboard to the kind of wider ideas that it speaks of and one of those ideas of course the, the book is called a manual for christian dissidents especially because um it's this notion of soft totalitarianism it's kind of a key term that the you know, first part of the book um, does sort of go into in, in a big way um so just to kind of kick off i kind of i thought maybe you know you could uh Tell us what soft totalitarianism is. Michael, you've read that bit, I think. <laughs> so This will be a nice, easy one for you. So, What is soft, soft totalitarianism? Are we going crazy? Is it a conspiracy theory when we talk about that? You know, what, what's the kind of, what's your take and what was Dreyer's take on it? Yeah, so to Dreyer's picking up on this line by Solzhenitsyn, um, they've not by lies, and, and using that really and the kind of um, experience of people who lived through the totalitarianism, particularly of, of Soviet Russia and, and Eastern Europe, um, to say, well, are there similarities, are there parallels to what we're starting to see increasingly in Western society? Um, and he says, says there are. Um, now, the difficulty is, like, when you say that, like, some people go like, ah, ah we're going to be like communists by next week. <laughs> and then other people just go like, don't be so stupid. Like, we're not going to be Marxist. And like, you know, like, it's ridiculous. Like, stop kind of being a scaremonger. And, and he said, look, okay, you know, situations are not exactly parallel. And what may happen in you know, Western society in the next 20, 30 years obviously won't be an exact mirror image of what's happened before. Mm. But we'd be really unwise not to learn the lessons of history and see where there are similarities in terms of a growing totalitarianism. Mm. Um, we talked about you know, freedom of speech last week and this threat to freedom of speech, which is yeah. obviously tied up with that. And so, well, actually, do we need to be careful here? Like, there are real threats that we need to be aware of. And then if this is where 
things are heading like how should we respond to that as mm. christians what is the way that we're to live in that kind of society yeah um and mm. obviously we'll think about that a little bit later mm. yeah yeah no that's helpful um anything else to add on the back of that andy this sort of sense of what where where yeah, totalitarianism I... is Exactly. And I think what's I think what I found so helpful about about Dreyer's book is it kind of it gave me a framework for some of the things I've been thinking about and, and noticing for a while. And he does make this this very important, I think, distinction between hard totalitarianism, which is what we saw. We see places like China today and other societies we've seen in the past in the former Soviet Union and Eastern Europe and, and what he now calls today soft totalitarianism. But the thing that links them is the is the idea of a totalitarian society is one in which you have an ideology that seeks to replace uh, all other prior traditions, replace all sort of competitors, mm. and the idea that you bring the whole of society under control of your ideology. Mm. And in the sort of older forms of that, that was done using, you know, sort of using physical restrictions, actually sort of, you know, basically locking up dissidents mm. uh, using the using violence in places mm. whereas soft totalitarianism does it a very a very different way it does it more sort of therapeutically it yeah. does it through sort of you know insisting that if you if you disagree with a ruling ideology you're a bad harmful person and then mm. it does it largely through fear actually making people be afraid that if you speak out if you take a different view you're going to end up you know losing a job being no platform having the twitter mob uh, come after you and and so on and uh, and so forth and uh a nice little line, actually, I've got from Dreyer here. He says, look, as part of its quest to define reality, a, totalian, a totalitarian state seeks not just to control your actions, but also your thoughts and emotions. The ideal subject of a totalitarian state is someone who has learned to love Big Brother. Mm. And that, that really, for me, defines the age that we're in. There's a kind of sort of woke progressivism uh, a number of ideologies out there yeah. in our secular culture and increasingly I think the pressure is that you know you you actually have to think the right way not just do the right thing yeah. and uh, you know should we discover that you have the wrong opinion uh, <laughs> then that can go very ill for you as in fact on last week's episode we talk about our old uh, our old atheist friend Richard Dawkins yeah. um, who you know 10 years ago was an absolute hero of uh, of the secular sort of state that we live in his book sold billions of copies now he tweets the wrong thing he has the wrong opinions and boom no platforms game over that's right yeah no that, thanks andy and uh, michael how about your any kind of favorite quotes from you from the this on this sort of yeah thing? this is the bit where you really test or i've actually read i, I do have I'm, I'm just, for our, for our non-viewers I'm, I'm holding this up and i have got underlined bits um so yeah just there just proof that. um but actually sorry no, no, sorry. I, I just, I just thought you'd said for our non-viewers, and I thought you'd said for our viewers, and you know. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm now calling our listeners. I guess that's there what we, we should, that's that's a much better terminology. Um, actually, it's connected to what Andy was saying because he was talking about this kind of soft totalitarianism that we learn to love Big Brother. And there was a, a line here. It says it's hard to work get worked up over Big Brother when you've all, already grown accustomed to big data, closely monitoring mm. your private life via apps, credit cards, and smart devices, which make life so much easier and more pleasurable. Mm. In Orwell's fictional dystopia, the state installed telescreens in private homes to keep track of individual lives. Today, we install smart speakers into our homes to increase mm. our sense of well-being. Yeah. So in a sense, you know, we're, we're kind of welcoming people in. It's not being forced upon us. Mm. Um, and it's an interesting question. I was listening to someone else speak the other day, and they were saying, you know, when we think of totalitarianism, the number one thing we normally think of is, is government, the state. Yeah. Um, but actually, is it big tech um, rather than the big state that is the one that's holding the power? And, and when you kind of get situations in society where, you know, companies are starting to wield more power mm. than governments and are able to dodge the power of governments in different ways, dodge tax and everything else, you know, those are interesting questions to raise, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. But this idea that's actually, yeah, it's not being foisted upon us, but we, we actually unthinkingly sometimes accept these things without thinking maybe of where they might lead. Yeah, there was that stat, wasn't there, that 70 million um, people in the US who have installed these sort of smart speakers and, and mm. you know, other other kind of discussions of technology that's coming out which can read your emotions based on your facial expressions. How you facially respond to some, what someone says, they can read effectively what your emotions are and therefore they, they may interpret what you're mm. thinking. And now, of course, there's a yeah. few leaps and bounds in there, but th that, that has been celebrated technology lately. And as we've discussed previously with technology, that the perennial danger is we can, so we will. You know, we, we, we can do this, and so so it must be a, a kind of good idea. And I think one of the things that Drea does get to, I think you mentioned China, Andy, 
um, they have the social credit system. I was going to mention just that, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah go, go for it, go for it. So, yeah, well, well I'll tell you what's very interesting about that, particularly, Aaron. There's a, there's a, one of my, there's a wonderful, well, wonderful in the sense that it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating uh, sort of TV drama series called Black Mirror, which we may have mentioned on this podcast before, a very dystopian uh, TV series looking at the, the impact particularly technology has. And I, and I say it's, it's quite a dark series because I think it diagnoses the problems and offers no solutions at all. There's a very famous episode of that it's called Nosedive, that portrays this world in which everything you do, you get, you know, voted up or voted down by people mm-hmm. on their smartphones. If someone's nice to you in a coffee shop, yeah. if the barista smiles at you, you, you give them a little tick. But then, <laughs> depending on where you sit in that ranking, that opens up more things. You might be able to, you know, you, you might be able to get a nicer airline ticket or live yeah. in a nicer apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then very quickly, the, the you know, the, the, the one of the main sort of characters in that story makes a couple of poor decisions at the start of the episode. And by the end has gone from, you know, really well-connected mm-hmm. society to basically, you know, living on the streets because yeah. her social yeah. capital has gone down. And watching that thinking, wow, that's a bit dystopian, but thankfully you're not there yet. And then it was only a few weeks or so later reading about the Chinese social credit system, which is basically the same thing. So that all of your interactions in China, China have taken the kind of classic totalitarian model and coupled it with big data um, so that, yeah, if society doesn't approve of you, I've just done scare quotes actually, but that doesn't work uh, when you're not watching the video (laughs) at home, um, then, yeah, that uh, that might restrict your right to travel. Uh, yeah. You know, if you don't have enough social capital, you're not allowed to buy airline tickets and travel outside the mm. country. And mm. so the government now keep track on every social interaction. What that's causing, and I think we're seeing the soft version of that here in the in the West now, is that it's causing people to police each other. And in fact, yeah. actually, it's interesting. Mm. I was reflecting on the fact totalitarian totalitarian societies have often done this. I mean, look at Eastern yeah. Europe. You know, the Stasi were famous for the number of people on the payroll. Uh, you know, including even pastors of churches who would, mm. you know, who would report on their congregants to the state mm. in return for, you know, slightly easier living conditions. Yeah. And so the idea was the state got you spying on one another. China's yeah. taken it to the next level. And now here, I think, yeah. uh, you know, through social media and the such like, we, we see this. People mm. are so afraid of what yeah. others might think and do and, and say yeah. that you start restricting your own behavior and your own speech. Mm. Um, and that's quite a frightening, slippery slope yeah. in some ways. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and it's almost like this is something that Dre really goes to town on, doesn't he? The kind of, what are the cult, socio-cultural conditions that have primed us to be ready for soft totalitarianism and not even to realise it's there? Because we've so, that's how we've been so sort of immersed in the um, system, as it were, of consumerism, of, of ease, and, and give slowly, slowly giving away a little bit more freedom, not really caring so much about that. Because we kind of it doesn't really affect us. It doesn't. No one. No one's really knocking at your door. It's so, it's so unlike a totalitarian situation. It's it's not. And it, you know, Drea makes that clear. We're not saying that there's a, a comparability to, you know, Soviet um, totalitarianism or Nazi totalitarianism of, of sorts of Gestapo, but we are seeing, um, a, you know, a loss of freedoms in all sorts of everyday ways that are just convenient for us, so we don't really mind. And so, so you know, one of the things the book does. He's interviewing people from former Soviet bloc countries and kind of getting their, gauging their kind of responses. Some of whom have come to the West and kind of gone, "Whoa, I thought this was like the land of freedom. I grew up under communism. Mm. You guys seem to not care that you're losing freedom, and we don't know. We don't notice because we're swimming in the water. They they've lived through it, and they're saying the same attitudes are here. This we know how this stuff works. We know how it goes down." And we know how virtue signaling works socially because you have to virtue signal to whatever the, the ideology is. If you don't do that, you'll be in trouble. So therefore, people stay silent and they try to protect themselves. But really, there's only so long that that will last anyway. Just on that, I think fascinating conversation I was having a couple of weeks ago with um, the pastor of um, uh, a church from Eastern Europe um, here, in, here in the UK. And he was just commenting that um, during the last few months, um, quite a lot of their congregation have actually gone back home, as in back to Eastern Europe, um, because they're saying actually the kind of the level of control that's been exerted um, during the pandemic over what you can and cannot do is just yeah. so great. And actually, yeah. they're really fearful of that because they're like, you know, we've seen that kind of level of control before. Yeah. Um, now, now when we kind of say that in the West, people say like, that was so ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah. like, but it's interesting. I wasn't the one making the point. So this is, yeah. you know, mm. saying like we're just really worried about this. And and a lot of people have gone back home actually because they feel things are more free there than they are here. Not saying that there isn't a place for, you know, changing our behavior in the midst of a global pandemic, you know, not saying that, but just mm. saying 
actually what level of control should the state have over their lives? What can they tell us to do? Or, what, or should it be the case of advising rather than yeah. you know, commanding? Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I think that was interesting. Oh, yeah, go yeah, I was going to say, I think it was interesting combining both those points was I think what I really found fascinating when I started reading Dreyer's book was the point that he, you know, he wasn't a Westerner going, oh, yeah, I think I could see parallels with Eastern Europe. Let's write a mm-hmm. book about it, was that it was it was former folks from the East who he was yeah. friends with who were raising the issue. I mean, one of you, you know, I was just flicking through now when Michael was talking because I, I knew I'd found the reference in here and there's you know books full of these lo- sort of lovely is the wrong word but quite very eye-opening vignettes yeah and uh Drea says on 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 one, on one point of the book he says a soviet-born u.s physician told me after i agreed not to use his name that he never mm. posts anything remotely controversial mm. on social media because he knows that the human resources department at his hospital monitors employee accounts for evidence mm. of disloyalty to the progressive diversity and inclusion creed yeah. Yeah. And um and you're like, that's mm. quite sobering when someone who's mm. raised in the East yeah. and knows what it's like to live under that system is mm. then, you know, raising the flags for for here. And it, I think mm. it feels a bit at times like the old, you know, analogy of the frog being boiled, that the temperature yeah. goes up slowly, 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 slowly. You don't yeah. sort of notice it until someone comes from an outside and mm. goes, Gosh, it's damn hot in here. Mm. And and it's actually the case that, you know, that they the companies and institutions that have had to fly certain flags, um, uh, over the last sort of decade or so and, and that, that's kind of come really really fast as, as a kind of essential or your business is going down they know it's good for business and so that's why they do it but obviously in the process of doing that it's not like these ceos let's say let's take lgbt as an example the rainbow flag is, is flown you know plentifully so sainsbury's are lgbt uh, pro lgbt you think what, what does it mean for a supermarket to be pro lgbt what does that actually mean um, really, does it mean the kind of executive board they just want to show their solidarity with the, with the people group that they would say is marginalised? And of course, we you know dealing with um, lots of kind of complex issues there, which we'll get into the specifics of, of it another week, I'm sure. But what does it actually mean for you to have to show that? And if you don't, show I always it, assumed it was because you know, somebody in the HR in the marketing department at Sainsbury's who wasn't who, who wasn't particularly sort of up on things saw LGBT and thought it was type of sandwich. That's what I assumed was the first connection. <laughs> like a BLT. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm an LGBT, yeah. I'm an LGBT please on a, on rye. <laughs> rain, rain, Sainsbury's own rainbow cakes. Um, but they. But that's, this is the issue, isn't it? That they, after a while. That that is you know, the frog in the water. It kind of eventually, the sort of mantra kind of gets through. But so at first, it's cynical kind of pragmatism from the companies. Right, we better do what everyone's doing, otherwise everyone's going to call us homophobic. Um, so let's get on board and, and do that. Um, in the same way, and Drea mentions this in the fifties in the US, it would have been pro patriotism. So you need to show that you're pro America. That's good for business. So you need to kind of be really, really kind of Americana central. Now it wouldn't be because patriotism is kind of you know, less fashionable, yeah. less popular. Um, again, something else we could talk about at another time. But so you can see the sort of pragmatism of it. But at the same time, the more you carry on doing that, the more I see in Solzhenitsyn's phrase, if you live by the lie, so I don't really believe this. I don't really, have, my, I've got not really got a, a, you know, a boot in this camp as it were. I'm just going along with it. Eventually, I think you will find yourself altering and changing. So, so regardless of what the issue is, it's quite a dangerous thing, isn't it? Hmm. Well, it is. And it's also, I think the other thing as well, on the way to that believing it, there's also the place where it goes from, you know, companies say, well, we think this is good for business to plaster a rainbow, you know, flag over everything. So now we're going to actively coerce yeah. people. And I remember talking to a, to a, to a friend of mine here in, in Dundee, who worked for a kind of research institution connected to the university. And about a year or two ago, the directive came round from HR, you know, as the, as they went into you know, this pride month came up that you know, every employee had to put the the, the rainbow mm. flag on yeah. literally on their desk, and he I remember wow. he came to me and saying, "Well, what do I do? Do is this the line at which I just now lose my job mm. over? Is this the line at which I have to go? No, this is this is mm. ridiculous." And what's interesting is we talked it through. The suggestion that I, I came up with was, "Well, you know, what about uh, you know, what about if you were to to go back and uh, and say to HR?" You know, I don't actually want to put the rainbow flag up because I actually think the LGBT community are, are pretty strong, actually. I, I, I think there's still one or two issues, but largely uh, they've done remarkably well and have got equality. What I would like to do, though, I'm very passionate about the Free Tibet issue. Um, I mean, what I'm going to do instead is put the Free Tibet flag on my desk to show, because I think it's important mm. that we show as a workplace we are committed to uh, to justice 
And uh, I, I never know, I never heard what happened at the end of the conversation, but I think that was the that was the that, that was one approach that we we wow. came up with. But the interesting, the fact that we all laugh at that is the fact that we we know probably what would have happened yeah. in that conversation because mm-hmm. it's not really that the company is concerned about that issue; it's just playing the game. Right. But the fact that the coercion is mm-hmm. used and employees are made to feel afraid that if you don't go along yeah. with the particular. Um, mm-hmm you know, the particular ideology. And I think that's where it is so, so softly totalitarian. Once yeah. an ideology is trying to extinguish, hmm. you know, competitors and once it's you will think this yeah. or you are out, yeah. then I don't think there's any doubt that we've crossed a line. And it's the peer pressure, isn't it, off the back of that? I haven't done this. Oh, that means you must hate gay people, I presume. It's like, no, not at all. Um, but, you know, what? then if you don't, why wouldn't you do this? That's kind of, we're, we're making your choices for you. Here, look, we've already made it. I guess you'd have a similar thing, you know, in terms of, you know, sports people, do they take the knee, you know, yeah. um, in response to Black Lives Matter? Mm. And, you know, I listened to a very helpful interview with Billy Vonapola, who I thought was actually very articulate in terms of responding to why he didn't as a Christian. Yeah. Um, not because he was, you know, not desiring racial equality, you know, yeah. he's from a different ethnic background, but um, that actually that he just felt that he couldn't support, you know, the organisation and, yeah. you know, felt that to do that. But the massive flack that he got because yeah. he, wouldn't kind of go along with what everyone else did um and and like you know it's not just now like it's good if you support it but you know again last year i remember someone saying you know and everyone was kind of posting about it uh, it, was, it was christian tweeted you know um we hear everything you're saying but we also hear what you're not saying in other words you know for my christian friends who haven't actively you know hashtag blm you know we've noticed you kind of thing yeah. I found that a little bit scary in yeah. terms of like, well, well, hang on, do yeah. do we have to now? Do we all have to kind of prove that we're on board with this by by kind of joining in? And yeah. what if like actually we have questions about whether that's mm. you know helpful or not? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's it's almost a sense of yeah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go in this direction? Why wouldn't you kind of show solidarity in this sort of way? Mm. But like I was saying earlier, I think it's the like technology. It's the, the we can, so we will. It's the same for sort of um, processes that people have decided are the benchmarks of sort of ethical or moral issues um so it's like if you know so for example because a certain supermarket goes in this direction so right we're going to publicly say this it looks bad if the others don't because there's a precedent a bit like the kind of you know countries over the kind of lockdown processes and covid which is another thing obviously that sort of prepped the ground for ideological conformity and and neighbors kind of going oh you do what you don't agree with the advice or oh you're one of those weird dissidents who doesn't agree with the advice um it's a really da- a dangerous thing for that to be happening the pandemic at the same time as all of this stuff from the kind of woke crowds of, of the kind of you know identity politics because it just shows you again that we're almost prepa- we're walking a line aren't we towards a sort of more of a totalitarian future mm. yeah, wherever that however that manifests i don't expect it will be a hard totalitarianism mm. but as Dre-, Dre is getting into in the book it's the the softness of it it's the fact that we are inducing one another to live by lies that we, that we don't believe um yeah, and I think there's a couple of things going on there that's interesting because at the, I, I read Drea some months ago, knowing the show was coming. So I was, you know, unlike some people who didn't read it at all, I am um, prepared well in, well in advance. But the book I am really kind of right now, I'm just, uh, I, I think you two have both played around with a bit. So I'm just reading this wonderful, really fascinating book called Cynical Theories um, by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, which is looking at it's some of those other sort of progressive kind of wokery kind of nonsense, particularly in the universities, but they do a very helpful distinction between justice and social justice. Cause the problem is the kind of social justice mm. orthodoxy where social and justice have a capital S and a capital J. And I found this yeah. actually a very helpful definition where they say social justice as a proper noun with a capital S and a capital J refers to a very specific doctrinal interpretation of the meaning of social justice, small S and small J and a means of achieving it while prescribing a strict identifiable orthodoxy around that term. Hmm. And they go on to say it's absolutely crucial we separate out those two hmm. things. You know, and it's important, you know, as Christians better say, you know, we we think racial justice is inequality is hugely important. And it's hmm. hugely important that people are not oppressed because of their sexuality. I on board with all of those things, but that mm-hmm. doesn't also mean therefore I need to be coerced into signing into yeah. a whole range of other things that yeah. I don't happen to believe are are yeah. true. And I think where we're really seeing that, of course, is around the transgender piece, mm. Uh, mm. where, you know, I mean, who could imagine that, tw- that even 10 years ago, somebody could lose their job for saying that, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, you know that uh, trans women are not real women. To me, that would seem to be a pretty obvious statement of mm. a fact. Two plus two is four. It's not five, 10 or, yeah. or 15. You're into something that's objectively true. Um, 
but now if you don't believe the lie, um, mm-hmm. things can go very bad for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and and you know on, on on the back of that, really, so we're sort of sketching out, aren't we? The that's the the stuff that can happen in this sort of soft totalitarian situation, which is partnering. So it's tech tech is involved because we're giving away freedoms, we're being observed more, uh, social media connected, all this stuff. At the same time, we've got the social justice warriors um, who have a lot of power, lo- lobbying power, making things happen, and we've got Christian institutions, the church mainly, but many institutions within Christianity, sort of not knowing how they can respond. Right, so they, you know, leaders not knowing what the best response is to um to, to to this sort of ideological sort of torrent coming at us and many that i would probably say have um bowed the knee metaphorically and, and physically in many regards to, to some of these issues michael any kind of thoughts on this is, is the sort of the first step towards what, what's the problem here yeah i think it's a very helpful thing to bear in mind because i think there are two kind of reactions um that we can fall into one is you know we hear people talking about racial equality and stuff like that. And we say, well, of course, we've got to be in on this because we're Christian. Like that's, you know, if anyone's going to be in signing up for that kind of stuff, we've got to be as Christians. Um, But then sometimes an unthinking and uncritical kind of acceptance of everything, say, a movement stands for. Mm. Um, And so we don't kind of question or look into that. Um, And and that's one danger, I think, you know, that we just, you know, almost we kind of Christianize it. We just say, you know, like, um, you're for this well we're for this as well and we're Christians um, and we kind of almost kind of follow along on people's coattails or we kind of make the opposite um, error and that is we are kind of very visibly seen to be against these things um, but we don't articulate kind of positively what we're for at the same time and so we just sound like we're kind of scaremongers who you know if we're not for that we must be against racial equality we must yeah. be against kind of you know um uh, the rights of you know LGBT or whatever. Like, we have this kind of challenge, you know? so I think it's a really difficult one to navigate. And I think the other reason why it's difficult to navigate is it's kind of like it's often quite a slip. You know, terminology is quite slippery here, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's not like there's a kind of like a political party that's just representing everything. So, mm-hmm. do we talk about you know um, far left? Do we talk about woke? Do we talk about progressive? But all of these terminologies can be unhelpful sometimes people will react because we feel like they're we're wrongly labeling them mm-hmm. and of course there's a spectrum isn't there in terms of like to what degree we kind of buy into certain ideologies so i think there's real challenges in interacting with it because it's it's vague there's a level you know the other mistake sometimes christians make is the the moment we hear any kind of word that might be associated with something that's progressive or woke we just like we label it as woke you know so yeah. tim Keller gets labeled as being a woke progressive far left extremist because you know he's it concerned is. about justice oh, yeah. and it's like <laughs> so you know, which is crazy so we need to be really careful i think how we respond yeah no, no, and so, so it's right you know we've got we've got that 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 kind of issue but, then, but many have noted the fact that the probably the bigger direction of travel depends who you hang out with right if you're mm-hmm. hanging out with people on your twitter feed who are the capital letter memeing on the right uh, every, you know conspiracy, conspiracy theories around every corner I, I think the larger picture of the mainstream would certainly be mm-hmm. the direction is left it, it's it, mm-hmm. it, it's unquestionably the case that the way mm-hmm. the way we're framing our responses to things are the fear of what people will think of us this is the fear of negative association um, which is which is but you know as Andy mentioned earlier, the other guy in his workplace, um, you know the, these reputational dangers, threats to career, not being given a job or losing your job as a result of this does it does mean that Christians are in a very serious situation it, already, let alone one that's coming. And it's the Christians that Dre is speaking to in the East mm. uh, who know this, and so you guys need to start waking up. You need to start doing stuff about this situation. So what 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 did you guys find in the book? Um, that was helpful in terms of positive ways. So this is, you know, it's called a manual for Christian dissidents. It's like, we need, this is a problem. Wake up to the problem. Now you've woken up to the problem. You don't just call it alarmist. I mean, Drea gets called an alarmist all the time, but in many respects, he's showing that it's not the case, really. He's not just making stuff up for the sake of it. He's saying, look, this is really happening. Um, now we know this is the case, or if we, if we believe that's the case, what do we do about it as Christians? Mm-hmm. What's the best way to go about life? Well, it's a good question. I think. Um... I want to say a couple of things, actually. One, just to flesh something in before we look at the solution. It suddenly occurred to me that, of course, one thing I think we want to be thoughtful about is, look, you know, all that we've diagnosed about the problem so far, they're actually, we have sort of fellow travellers who are not not Christian who are diagnosed a lot of this. So so, someone like, Mm. say, Douglas Murray, 
yeah. he's an atheist uh, writer. You look at his, uh, you know, his book, uh, The Madness of Crowds. Uh, you might look at some of, the, you know, Jordan Peterson and, and others. There are others who are, don't share our Christian convictions. It is interesting to think about what we can add. And it occurred to me, the whole live not by lies thing, of course, we also know in Scripture that, the, that Satan is the father of lies and has always mm. worked through mm. whispering lies in. If you look right back to the garden, you know, the way that uh, Satan operated there with Adam and Eve. He didn't say, hey, God said, don't don't, don't eat that. You should disobey. You should do the opposite because he knew that mm. wasn't going to work. But he mm. came in slant. And it's yeah. like, did God, did God really say? Mm. And I think it's interesting, you know, as Christians, we of all people should know, we need to be careful so that for, to listen out for those little white lies that ease mm. you down the track to something far from God's God's best. And that yeah. whole, I think there's a reason that we've got the kind of frog boiling thing going on, because I think it, that's often the way the enemy works. But it's also important for Christians then to stake a claim somewhere and go, no, I'm not going any further down yeah. this. Because even though this individual step on its own, yeah, okay, may not look so bad. Cumulatively, in the case of where it's going, it's going somewhere quite dark indeed. Mm. It's the first thing. Mm. And I guess the other thing I would, I would say, and then maybe let Michael jump in on, on some specifics. I think my takeaway quote from the book is as we think about a beginning of a response. So, you know, what it means to be a, to be a Christian dissident, how to be willing to stand up. Of course, you know, dissidents in the communist era who stood up against hard totalitarianism knew there was a cost. And I think here in the West, we have forgotten what it means as Christians that there might be a cost, uh, a cost for our faith. And, uh, and in, on page 185, see, look, I've read it enough. I can give references. Look right? at that. That's good. For, um, that's good seminar etiquette. That. That's good seminar etiquette. Dreyer says, he said, look, the old totalitarianism conquered societies through, through fear of pain. The new one will conquer primarily through manipulating people's love of pleasure and fear of discomfort. Hmm. And then he adds, uh, he goes on, he says, we should not conflate being socially or professionally marginalized with, with prison camps and the executioner's bullets, hmm. the latter of which were all too real for anti-communist dissidents, but know this too. If we... Latter-day believers are not able and willing to be faithful in the relatively small trials mm. we face now. There yeah. is no reason to think we will have what it takes to endure serious persecution. Mm. In the, I, I underline that too. There you go. Just yeah, proof, that really proof struck me reading. because to yeah. go, yeah. it's so easy to go to think about. You know what? It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't matter. I'll put the rainbow flag on the desk. You know, mm. it doesn't matter. I'll nod along. Yeah. to things i'll i'll keep quiet i won't speak yeah. up if my you know my colleague gets in trouble because they don't affirm the transgender orthodoxy i'll say mm. nothing it doesn't matter yeah i think dre is right we we've got to discover a backbone mm. As, and yeah. i say we because i'm not sitting here going hey i've got it sorted you know or yeah. well, everyone yeah. else has got it wrong i yeah. it could be the prospect of it being tough is terrifying because we've lived for decades where it's been very very easy to yeah. be a christian and i think and when we start our taking up putting our flag in the in the sand yeah and we start that journey to being dissidents by going okay that world is over it's going to mm. be tough to be a christian yeah now but mm. um yeah bring it on it's the, it's interesting that's a really good point andy i just probably jump in michael um on the social capital thing christians we talked about earlier about actual social credit that's like that there's the, the case in chinese society like you do a good thing and you and you have you know a better opportunity if you do a bad thing socially mm. civically it's going to work worse worse for you in your societal life um, we obviously have the metaphorical social credit that we use, the church uses all the time. And so often you do get institutions, um, denominations or, or charities or mission organizations who will decide what what battle to fight based on how much credit is at stake. And sometimes that's a, obviously there's wisdom. You do have to pick your battles. You absolutely shouldn't just blast on everything you disagree with. Um, it's kind of a bit pointless and kind of, you know, gets you into stupid kinds of trouble. But at the same time, um, it, there's a, a cultivating a fighting spirit is so important. That's what kind of, the kind of thing in the quote you read, Andy. You know, we, we need to be ready to do that. Don't we? we need to be ready to fight those small battles, um, not just be, not not just fight every battle. What I mean is just be be ready to fight for when when the the time comes. Because one of these, a lot of things these institutions are someone's doing, Christian ones, will be we'll save it for the big fight. But really, what is the big fight? Is someone going to come and have a go at the Trinity? And to tell you that they did, they disagree with the gospel. They're not going to come that clearly, you know. That's not how satanic kind of attacks tend to work um, in in the kind of kind of current era. So they're going to come at you at a different angle. They're going to come after you after biblical authority by 
attacking a small area here or a moral issue here or something. And you might go, oh, it's just a little thing. But actually it isn't. It's a gateway to loads of other things. And that's a huge, huge problem. I'm sorry, Michael, you're going to come in. There's, there's so much we could say, but um, it reminded me of a quote. I think it's from Luther and I can't remember it um, off by hand, off by heart. So oh, yeah, um, maybe you will remember it as I go through. But I, basically the point being that, you know, if I stand up for the Christian faith and defend the Christian faith, except at the one point where it's being attacked, yeah. then that's not really courage. Yeah. You know? Uh, we've got to be prepared, like you're saying, to, to actually stand up and say, if this is the area where in our culture Christianity yeah. is being attacked, so. we've got to do that. I mean, it's amazing. You know, we had the kind of, you know, memorial of the Reformation a few years ago, five years of the Reformation. And we all kind of stand up and declare the truths of the five solas of the Reformation, which is mm-hmm. great. But like, you know, it doesn't take a great lot of courage in Britain yeah. to stand up and declare, yeah. you know, salvation by grace alone, because no one is going to like have a go at you for that. <laughs> they yeah. just going to be completely confused i want to go to um, purgatory and pay off my debts how dare you tell me i can't do that yeah i want to pay for my granny to get out yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not going to happen but there are things that we can say as christians in our culture that will incur like real you know reaction um and if we're willing to kind of not speak you know speak on the things that you know where, where everyone will be fine but not speak on the areas where we're potentially going to to get a more negative response that's a real challenge mm. but the idea of being kind of faithful in the little things mm. so that we will then be faithful in the bigger things. You know, it reminds me, I think of the story of Daniel. Yeah. You know, Daniel in the beginning of Daniel, you know, makes this stand, doesn't he, over not eating mm. this food. And we're not yeah. quite sure exactly why commentaries kind of disagree on that, mm. but he's obviously making this stand over what seems like a, a relatively small thing. Mm. But of course, later on in the book of Daniel, he then makes this stand of continuing to pray, even though he knows that his life is mm. now going to be taken as far as he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, if he, if he does, but actually, where did he learn to make those kind of courageous stands? It yeah. was making those smaller decisions first. Mm. So mm. we like to think, don't we, as Christians, mm. you know, well, if we got to a kind of equivalence to kind of yeah. Soviet legs, we would all be kind of standing there yeah. faithfully kind of continuing as Christians. But would we if we're not willing to yeah. you know, suffer? And I guess the other thing on that, and I think this is more of a challenge, is, you know, in my kind of line of work, you know, in our line of work, you know, when we speak publicly about the Christian faith, one of the kind of comebacks is well if you speak about this you may lose your platform you'll be cancelled mm-hmm. therefore you won't be able to communicate the gospel so it can be dressed up in a kind of yeah. like you know for the sake of the gospel let's not talk about these things yeah. um, let's keep quiet in these areas let's just you know present yeah. this um, and I can kind of see that I can see that there is a real danger you know particularly in universities if you know just talking to someone today you know how explicit should we be about the Christian sexual ethic if we're asked in a kind of mm. public context we need to be tactful and wise but, mm. but I think if we're not willing to say anything for fear yeah. of being cancelled you know yeah. I think there's a real danger there and yeah. you know people see through that as well yeah and it's, it's just really helpful Mark. And actually funnily enough critical rate we're, we're not going into race theory now I'm sure mm. again we'll, we'll say we'll open that can of worms another day but that's one example critical race theory so many elements of it the BLM stuff it's directly counteracts the gospel. Like the fundamentals of what evangelicals believe about forgiveness and how guilt works and things like this, uh, and, and personal guilt. Lots of things we've maybe fought for within churches previously now, um, that's being attacked in so many ways, but in, in ways maybe quite subtle to some, but it's quite obvious to others. But even then, we're not willing to defend the gospel. That's a very obvious point. But yeah, the Luther quote is fantastic. I heard that from Andrea Williams, I think, the Christian Concern, uh, charity mm. and they often get in trouble for being a little bit um fighty but i i've come to appreciate that so much more and, and now whenever people say oh christian concern they're a bit crazy kind of go out this well actually no they're doing some amazing stuff um fighting mm. some of these battles so maybe they'll overstep the line sometimes but quite often we need a little mm. bit more of that kind mm. of courage just before i let you jump in here andy i just want to read a quote from um one of the part part two of the book uh, which mm. is, he goes into these he's got these sort of six theses as it were, or six ideas of, of what, how we should live. And I'll read them out briefly. There's value nothing more than truth is the first one. The second is cultivate cultural memory. That's something we need to be doing. Families are resistant cells, the importance of strong families. Religion, the bedrock of resistance, the importance of religion um, and against secularism. Standing in solidarity with others is the other. And then finally, the gift of suffering. But the first of those ones, the value nothing more than truth, I found a really striking example um, that he gives about a uh, the, the idea of an example given by um, the, the Czech uh, post-communist president, Václav Havel, um, who spoke of living in the truth. And he said, consider the case of the greengrocer who posts a sign in his shop bearing the well-known slogan from the communist manifesto, workers of the world unite. He doesn't believe in it. He hangs it in his shop 
as a signal of his own conformity. He just wants to be left alone. His action is not meaningless, though. Um, his Green Graces Act not only confirms that this is what is expected of one in a communist society, but also perpetuates the belief that this is what it means to be a good citizen. So it sends a message to the people around you. And so just to finish it, he, he goes on and says, but let us now imagine that one day something in our greengrocer snaps and he stops putting up the slogans merely to ingratiate himself. He stops voting in elections he knows are a farce. He begins to say what he really thinks at political meetings. And he even finds the strength in himself to express solidarity with those whom his conscience commands him to support. In this revolt, the greengrocer steps out of living within the lie. He rejects the ritual and breaks the rules of the game. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His result is an attempt to live within the truth. I find that really, really powerful to imagine the, the fact that your courage in those situations, though it can be dangerous, though it can be risky, actually begets courage. Courage begets courage. You don't know when you tweet something, you think, oh, is this a little bit over the line? Someone might not even like or comment on that, but they are encouraged. They are literally encouraged by what you've said. And, and so there's more that can be achieved sometimes by this good Christian dissidence than by staying silent. Just just on that point, and we will let Andy speak in a second, but, but it just reminds me as you're saying silent, that. Philippians, I feel silenced. Yeah. <laughs> Philippians chapter one, you know, Paul speaks mm. about his imprisonments. And because of his imprisonment, people have been emboldened yeah, yeah. to the gospel more yeah, fearlessly. Yeah. So, like, you would kind of think, you know, it would be the opposite, wouldn't you? Like, mm. Paul's been in prison for preaching the gospel, so therefore everyone else should shut up. And it's like, no, like, mm. he's been in prison for preaching the gospel. So everyone else is like, well, let's go for it. Mm. And it's like the opposite of what we'd expect. I was just talking to a friend who's um, in a very, very close country um, doing student Christian student ministry. And it's saying, like, you know, the fear is that if you say anything Christian, um, in any kind of public context, you will just be taken down. Hmm. And so they're very, very fearful of that. And then there was a girl who, in one of her lectures, um, was um, hearing stuff espoused from the front that she disagreed with as a Christian. And so she took a stand and she just said to the lecturer, I, I really disagree with that. I'm a Christian. Um, I, I don't believe that. And the lecturer publicly said, if you don't you know, take that back, if you don't recant, then I will ensure that you don't pass your course. Hmm. Um, you will fail. You will not graduate. Hmm. Um, you must take that back now. Wow. And she stood there and she says, no, I can't because this is true. This is what I believe. And you can fail my course, but actually truth is more important. Wow. And the amazing thing is two things happened. One, the teacher was actually so incredibly amazed by her courage that she didn't throw him off the course. It was actually able to pass hmm. um, and graduate. But actually that emboldened all the other Christian students who had been so fearful of saying anything. So actually that we need to do this. We need to yeah. be able to speak up in these yeah. situations. And you know, it's far worse than anything we're facing hmm. in, in Britain today. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, great. Andy, without further ado, without further ado, without been I was I've been unsilenced. No, I was thinking various things. I was thinking, obviously, you know, one of the things we obviously try and do in this podcast is explore these issues, but also do that from a from a you know unapologetically Christian perspective. <laughs> of course, I think the other thing lying behind this that's so important to remember is that if we genuinely are following Christ, we genuinely believe the gospel is true. This isn't just about I want my free speech rights. I want the ability to to speak up without getting kind of shot down. That 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 that, that, that there's nothing wrong with asking that, and especially for wishing it for others. But it's also because we believe that ultimately, you know, these kind of progressive myths that are stalking our culture do not ultimately bring satisfaction that they don't mm. ultimately that the ultimate lies are are destructive i mean mm. i think communism is an interesting test case because it was this sort of sold on this myth that it's going to produce this wonderful future and everyone's going to be happy get all the useful yeah. idiots in the west going oh yes look yeah. at you know look at this look at russia mm. it's amazing and of course that turned out the whole thing was lies and nothing but lies and i think with every due respect the same goes for what we're being told mm. around things like queer theory and critical race theory and those things they do not bring happiness they do not mm. bring justice mm. they do not bring fulfillment only mm. christ can do that and so there is that sense you know jesus talked about the truth setting you free but they also believe the truth will set others free and it, mm. although there may be a cost to us in telling that truth you know if we keep focused on mm. why we're doing it because we believe jesus truly is good news and that he's the only one ultimately who can solve these bigger structural issues in society uh, i think that mm. gives a different motivation um because we do not want to be i guess to be heard as christians to be saying look you know we had all this power 
we've lost it. We want it back so we can talk again. That's mm. not that's not the mm. gospel. But the gospel is, no, we will speak up for the poor and the oppressed and those who are spiritually in need, and we'll do it if it mm. costs us. And just, I think, on that, I think we can be very fearful, can't we, in terms of what might come. And you know, ultimately, we don't know what exactly the future is going to look like. But I think, you know, and I see these kind of reactions, you know, either a naivety, you know, of course, it will never, you know, totalitarianism won't come near us. We're Britain, you know, <laughs> uh, we have democracy or all, all, all that. Or, you know, this kind of fearful, you know, we're going to be, you know, next Soviet Russia. Yeah. And, and I think whatever happens as Christians, we say, look, you know, we, we have you know confidence in the gospel, mm. you know. Christian, the Christian faith grew rapidly in the first century, not in, you know, mm. a place where there was Western style democracy, you yeah. know, there was, yeah. you know, real persecution and suffering. And the gospel grows today in places like China and Algeria and Iran and, mm. you know, places where there is no kind of Western style democracy, but the gospel is growing. So, yeah. so whatever the future holds, yes, it may incur more suffering. It may incur more opposition. Um, but one of the wonderful things we seem to see in scripture is that increased persecution and challenge also seems to bring with it increased fruit. Mm. And one of the things that Drea talks about in the book is actually the one thing that we lose is, is nominal Christianity mm. as, as it becomes harder mm. to be a Christian, to stand for, for Christ. Actually, mm. it, it deepens our Christian faith, hopefully, um, or it will show it up for being a sham. Mm. Uh, but where it does deepen it, it then makes, makes it contagious and we see it spread. So, mm. so I'm kind of both you know concerned but also wonderfully encouraged because i think well yes it may get harder but that doesn't mean that that's the end for the gospel at all no i think it can grow and i'm excited for you know communicating christ in that context even though there'll be challenges mm. that's what wonderful point. i mean that reminds me of a quote from the drea i think drea quotes chesterton on at some point in the, another book he wrote called the benedict option on christianity has died many times but it knows the way mm. to get out of the grave <laughs> um <laughs> and and that's a, you know we we mustn't fear and uh, we must not we must be aware we must go into the future with our eyes awake but we must also go with hope knowing that we we follow one who did come out the other end and and that's the very heart of our message of 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 our savior who died and we follow into the cross and we come out the other end with mm. him so yeah thank you so much for those reflections well worth um going through and well worth uh, even even if michael hasn't read the whole book you can see it didn't even matter anyway. He could get away. We could have actually got away with it. We could have lived by the lie, but we thought maybe we would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he he, won, he wonged it. He wonged it well. If that's the past tense <laughs> of wing, he, right. wonged it. he wung it well. Exactly. He well, well. <laughs> um, I hope it's been helpful and encouraged you, uh, listeners, to um, to live not by lies and to think about what it means to be a Christian. Maybe even to be a Christian dissident in the present and perhaps even the future whatever that looks like for you until next time uh, myself aaron edwards andy bannister michael lots we will see you we will not see you we will hear you we won't even hear you we will just talk we will talk and you might listen that's what it is that's what this is that's, that's the way we'll get <laughs> goodbye <laughs> goodbye